1: Ken Levine, back for another episode of Hollywood and Levine. Well, it is summer, my favorite season of the year. So I thought this week I would make that my topic. A little bit later on, I am going to be sharing with you some stories of my checkered youth growing up in Los Angeles and living the California myth. Yes, the California myth really did exist. But before summer comes graduation so first i want to start with my commencement speech should anybody actually ask me to speak that's it for this week Well, June is the graduation time of the year, and I guess hundreds of years ago, these commencement speakers were inspiring and offered thoughts and insights that were new and fresh. But now, Jesus, be your own person. Never give up. You have a responsibility to society. Success comes from within. Show courage. You can make a difference. Set aside the time to smell the roses. Let faith be your guide, blah, 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 blah. Well, now, I have never been asked to be a commencement speaker. And that's probably a good thing because here is some of the advice that I might give To the class of 19, live at home with your parents as long as you can. Otherwise, you'll have to find a job. Rents are high, and then there's laundry, food, and the family big screen. Know that the music you think is so cool now will be laughed at by future generations. Same with clothes. And don't follow your current favorite group around the country for the next 30 years. That becomes sad year one. If you are going to honor your dear departed kitty Fluffy with a tattoo, make sure that all of your subsequent pets are also named Fluffy. Eat bad foods. You're at an age where you can get away with it. And eat them at midnight. There's plenty of time in the future for watching your carbs, eating your vegetables, avoiding red meat, and laying off the yodels and ringdings. Soon enough, you won't be able to eat a bite after 8 o'clock without spending the night in the Porcelain Canyon. Do you want fries with that? Damn right you do. Don't buy SUVs. Practice safe and frequent sex. Have many romances, and then fall in love when you're 30. Go back and study the history of your chosen field. Things actually happened before 2008. Don't blame your parents for everything. Your peers screwed you up just as much. Sleep. It's better for you than Red Bull. You can no longer take an incomplete... Prepare yourselves. There will come a day in your lifetime, I know it sounds crazy, but there will come a day that they will stop making original episodes of The Simpsons. I know you don't believe me. I know I sound like just an old guy, but it's true. There's a special bond having shared the school experiences together. Stay in touch with your classmates, even the ones you've slept with. Don't invest money in video stores. Read novels that aren't graphic. Join communities that aren't virtual. Save your journal or private diary. In 20 years, you are going to get such laughs. Dream big, but always have contingency plans. And then have contingency plans for your contingency plans. Keep your student ID card. Use it to get into movies cheaper. Guys, don't wear hats. You'll have plenty of time for that later once you've lost your hair. Don't sweat it if you don't know what you're going to do with the rest of your life. You know, there's a good chance the job that you'll eventually want hasn't been invented yet. Never take comedy traffic school. Buy your alcoholic beverages by the glass or bottle, not the keg. And finally, be careful when you say you want your generation to change the world. My generation said that, and we did. We made it much worse. Congratulations to the class of 19. Now get out there and don't fuck up my Social Security. Now that we are approaching summer, I thought I would talk a little bit uh, about my days growing up, my summer days, Uh, and this is basically paraphrasing a lot of stuff that I get into in way more detail in my book, The Me Generation by Me Growing Up in the 60s, which is available on Amazon in many, many different formats, including the audio book. So I thought I would talk a little bit about that. And uh, yeah, I'm getting a little nostalgic here. I grew up in the 60s in Southern California. And you talk about the California myth, about everybody driving around in hot rods and going to the beach and cruising in the Sunset Strip. And I'm here to tell you the California myth was real. It was a great time to be a teenager in Los Angeles. And in my high school in Woodland Hills, California, which is in the San Fernando Valley, a middle-class suburb of L.A., the Beach Boys played at our school assembly. I mean, that kind of stuff really did take place. Now, when you think about the beach scene... And all of the surfers and going back from Gidget and Beach Boy songs and everything else. Yes, that really did exist. But you had to have a car. You had to have transportation. Because otherwise, the beach scene meant nothing. And so for me, there were quite a few years when I would be able to go to the beach maybe two or three times a summer. But with my parents... Because I didn't have a car. And independence in Los Angeles is maybe the most important thing that a teenager can have. Because otherwise, you know, you don't get around. Public transportation is shit in Southern California. So you need a car. And in those early years in the 60s, I didn't have one. Still on the topic of beaches... You know, back then, there was no such thing as sunblock. We had tanning lotions. And there were commercials on the radio all the time for Coppertone, for Tanya, for Hawaiian Butter. I don't know. There were a number of brands. And they all said, we will make you tanner faster. Faster you will get a deep, rich, golden tan. And when I think back to those days, and we didn't go to Venice Beach or Santa Monica Beach, we went uh, a little bit north to Zuma Beach, That's where everybody from the San Fernando Valley would go over the Malibu Canyon to Zuma Beach. But back then, I can think of those Sundays when the beach was packed just like wall to wall. And everybody had blankets and coolers, but very few people, if anybody, had umbrellas. So you just go out there at 10 o'clock in the morning and just broil until 5 or 6 In the evening. And there were like a couple of snack stations that were dotted along the way. So if you wanted to go and get ice cream, you would walk, you know, 10, 15 yards to one of these food stations. And along the way, you could hear Vin Scully calling a Dodger game on transistor radio's coming off of every single blanket it was as if there was a public address system and you could hear vin scully's voice everybody listened to the dodgers and the same is true back in the 60s and 70s when you went to dodger stadium if you went to a dodger game you brought your transistor radio And everybody listened to Vin Scully. Like I said, it was kind of like a public address system where you would be going up to the concession area and still you're hearing Vin Scully as if you still had your transistor radio to your ear. And he was so loud that they could even hear it on the field. And Don Sutton, who was a pitcher for the Dodgers, once told me the story that he's on the mound it's like the 7th inning they're playing the Pirates and Wilbur Stargell comes up to bat and he hears while standing on the mound Vin Scully saying Wilbur Stargell coming to the plate now Stargell just owns this guy Stargell batting 450 against Don Sutton, and here we are in the seventh inning, and Sutton is running out of gas, and this is going to be a tough matchup because Wilbur Stargell just owns this guy. Sutton is standing on the mound hearing this, <laughs> and he like yells up at the booth, "Fuck you!" <laughs> So Vin Scully had a very prominent presence back in the 60s. So finally, I learned to drive, and I got my car. Okay, yes, I failed the test once, but the second time, I passed, and I got my car. 1960 Comet, which was handed down to me. And I also got my first job. Got a job working at a big record store, In the Topanga Plaza, the Topanga Plaza was a giant mall, one of the very first malls, actually. That was in Woodland Hills, and it opened in the mid-60s. Wallach's Music City was the premier record store. There were about seven or eight branches in Los Angeles. And the big thing about Wallach's Music City, not only did they have a large selection, but they also had listening booths. They were these glass booths. There were probably 10 or 15 of them that sat side by side. And you could take an album from the bin. All of the albums that were on the floor were available for listening purposes. You could take one of these albums and you could take a 45 or whatever and you could sit in a listening booth. And sampled the record for a half an hour, an hour. Some people would park themselves there and be there all day. And it was really cool at the time because Woodland Hills in the San Fernando Valley was right below the Topanga Canyon and very close to Laurel Canyon. And during that period of time, a lot of groups lived in the canyons. There's a number of movies, the most recent one Echo in the Canyon about the Laurel Canyon scene and you know you had Frank Zappa and Mickey Dolenz and the Buffalo Springfield and the Doors and Joni Mitchell the Mamas and Papas Arthur Lee from Love you had tons and tons of great musicians the birds were there and uh, tons and tons of people were either in Laurel Canyon or in Topanga Canyon and so when they wanted to go to a record store to listen to other records the closest was Wallach's Music City in the Topanga Plaza there was also the bigger branch at Sunset and Vine in Hollywood, but that was a schlep. It was much easier to get to the Topanga Plaza. So we would see these rock stars all the time. People like Captain Beefheart. Yes, the great Captain Beefheart would come into Wallach's Music City. But there was one guy who was an asshole. The only rule that we really had for the listening booths was you can't smoke marijuana. The other thing about these listening booths is they basically served as the store window. Cause as you walked through the mall, you would see all of these booths lined up and all of these people listening to music. And that would be a big draw to get you to go into the store. Uh, this one guy just kept smoking joints and Every time I would have to come in, warn him, and then five minutes later, throw his sorry ass out, that was Neil Young. I must have thrown Neil Young out of the listening booths 10 to 15 times. And yeah, he's a great musician, but he's also kind of an asshole. The other place the music scene congregated was the Sunset Strip. I used to go to the Sunset Strip from time to time. Back then, there were actually clubs that would serve under 18. Not many, but there were a few. So I would go with a few friends. The big problem with the Sunset Strip, to be quite honest with you, was parking. <laughs> there was like nowhere to park. So you would have to park way up some hill, it would take you like 15 minutes to get down to the Sunset Strip, which was okay. But at the end of the night, when it's 1 o'clock in the morning, now you got to hike a mile and a half up the hill to find your car. Back then, I saw lots of groups in lots of clubs. And I'm sure I saw some of the great ones. I'm sure I saw the birds, the birds. And the Doors, by the way, the Doors used to play the London Fog, and they were all wearing suits. (laughs) Yes, before the days of leather, they were all wearing suits. But you hear all of these groups, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know which group went on, which group had Eric Clapton in it, and then which of these many groups just went nowhere. You had no way of knowing. You'd go into these clubs. The music was deafeningly loud. There were go-go dancers in cages and things like that. And yeah, it was a wild scene. Did I see great musicians? Yeah. Can I tell you who they were? No, I really can't. I also got a second job in the summer. At a venue called the Valley Music Theater. The Valley Music Theater was this big white shell. It kind of is reminiscent of some of the mid century modern terminals at JFK. It's what the old TWA terminal used to look like just this big white shell with one side being all glass and there was a trend in the late 60s in the southern california area of these theater in the rounds and that's what the valley music theater was it was a theater in the round and the stage itself was probably the size of a large conference table But there was the Melodyland Theater across the street of Disneyland in Anaheim. There was the Carousel Theater in fabulous West Covina. And I think up north in San Francisco, in Burlingame and a couple of other places, they also had these theaters in the round. And during the summer, musicals, classic Broadway musicals, would bicycle around from one to the other. So you would have My Fair Lady starring Jane Powell at the Melody Land Theater for three weeks in July, and then it would go to West Covina for three weeks, and then it would go to the Valley Music Theater in Woodland Hills for three weeks. And for a couple of years, this was very popular. You saw (laughs) Broadway musicals, but with B-list actors. I remember seeing Bye Bye Birdie with Hugh O'Brien. Now, I'm sure most of you have no idea who Hugh O'Brien was. He was an actor. He starred as Wyatt Earp back in the 50s, and he's one of the most wooden actors of all time, and he starred in a musical. That's what we got. Ozzy and Harriet would star in a musical. Frank Gorshin, Dennis Day... Betsy Palmer who was a game show panelist on I've Got a Secret and eventually became a knife-wielding crazy in the Friday the 13th movies well she would be starring in these musicals and like I say It worked out fine for a couple of years, but then they burned through all of the big musicals. And after a few seasons of that, they were down to It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, starring local news anchors. And the Valley Music Theater basically went away. 1966, there was a big radio promotion that captured the imagination of Southern California. This was The Big Kahuna on KHJ. KHJ Boss Radio was the big station in Southern California. And they had this whole scenario set up for the summer where supposedly some <laughs> ancient queen in Hawaii that her magic stone had been stolen. And the Big Kahuna, who was this warrior in feathers, would come to Los Angeles because he heard a rumor that the magic stone was in L.A. And the Big Kahuna was going to search for this magic stone. And it was basically just an excuse to give away prizes to make appearances in various places. And the guy landed at LAX and there was a lot of fanfare and local TV news coverage and everything else. And like I said, this guy who was dressed in furs and feathers, you know, and had a big staff and everything, uh, supposed to be this Hawaiian this Samoan big kahuna. And actually it was this German guy. Who is friends with the program director whose father built the bunker that Hitler killed himself in? That was the Big Kahuna.
0: KHJ presents another exciting glimpse of a living legend in the making the summer of the Big Kahuna. The Big Kahuna's welcome at LA International Airport was gala indeed. The Boss Jocks broadcast the word of the Big Kahuna's arrival to all Los Angeles, and an excited throng gathered at Gate 82. Gary Mack, with many Tahitian dancers and drummers, assembled in front of the crowd inside the terminal building. The Jet Clipper touched down. The passengers came toward the gate, constantly looking back over their shoulders. Then, a feather-caped apparition electrified the audience as drums and dancers welcome for the first time to Los Angeles in all his pristine glory, the Big Kahuna. Stay tuned to Boss Radio for another episode in the adventuresome trip of... The Big Kahuna! 93 K H
1: J. Now, we in Los Angeles loved the Big Kahuna. Word got around about the Big Kahuna... Not because he was giving away Kahuna coconuts so you could go to his luau. No. We were all excited because he was selling drugs out of the back of the KHJ prize van. That was the summer of the big Kahuna. 1967, I had my car. It was a summer of work for me, not the summer of love. I was doing two jobs back then. But the highlight was the family took a vacation to San Francisco. I'd never been to San Francisco. I always wanted to go. We drove there. We always drove. I did not see the inside of an airplane until I was 18 years old. But we drove up to San Francisco, and the thing I wanted to see, of course, was Haight-Ashbury. Now, I should mention this, because you hear a lot about Haight-Ashbury and the fact that all of these kids from around the country migrated to San Francisco and set up in the Haight-Ashbury district. Anytime you see a movie about the 60s, that's usually what it's about. You know, some kid from Columbus, Ohio decides to put flowers in his hair and goes out to California and becomes a hippie. Well, the reality is ninety-nine point nine 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 percent of American teenagers back in the 60s did not pick up and move to hate Ashbury. Yeah, there were a lot, but hey, the baby boomer generation was 76 million people. No. 32 million people did not inhabit a three-block stretch of San Francisco. But anyway, I wanted to see Haight-Ashbury, and we drove through, and it was exactly the way I had pictured it. All of the buildings were multicolored. It was color everywhere. There were hippies everywhere. They were throwing flowers, and it was just a... A really great scene and my thought was oh my god how do these people live like how many people live in an apartment what kind of privacy do you get what happens if you get sick what happens if you have a bad trip how am i going to be able to watch television so As I drove through Haight-Ashbury, I can honestly say I was the one teenager who did not want to move to San Francisco to wear flowers in my hair. Flash forward a couple of years to 1969 in L.A. Well, there was Woodstock going on on the other side of the country, but we had uh, the... Dubious distinction of the Tate-LaBianca murders that summer. Charles Manson and his family uh, slaughtered all of those people. You know, the amazing thing, they caught Charles Manson, but the L.A. police were so fucking inept. It took them a while. When they finally picked him up, it was for another charge like stealing a car or something like that and the only reason he got tied into the murders was that susan atkins who was a member of the family was also in jail and she was bragging about killing sharon tate (laughs) without that the la police probably would still be stymied today it's just unbelievable how inept they were but that really cast a pall on the whole 60s movement certainly the hippies movement and really the the 60s and the summers of love came to an end at that point now quentin tarantino has a brand new movie that is coming out this summer i think the title of it is once upon a time in hollywood And the backdrop is the Tate-LaBianca murders and Charles Manson. So it will be interesting to see how he portrays it. He did a great job of simulating Los Angeles in 1969. It was really fun last summer because we would go to various locations and they would completely recreate exactly what it was like down to the newspapers and the bus benches and everything else so the way i'm going to spend this summer is by going back to that summer and however you spend this summer i hope you have a great one used to send those coconuts through the mail. (laughs) It was a long time ago. Well, that is going to do it for episode 128 of Hollywood and Levine. Thanks so much to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wilford, Bruce and Jason Miller, and you, of course, for listening. If you want to get in touch with me for any reason, you can always email me at HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. That is HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. I am on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. I'm also on Twitter, at Ken Levine. And if you could give me a five-star review, I sure would like that. Thanks so much. Please subscribe. Have a great summer. And I will leave you with a summer song. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Summer.
0: bye 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 You're gone. na 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 na